It's June 9th, and for the second week in a row, the Oklahoma City Council has spent several hours listening to citizens who are concerned with local policing and want to see changes in both policy and budget. As has been the case across much of the nation, Oklahoma City has seen dozens of protests in recent weeks. Sparked by the killing of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer, the protests have become locally focused with residents complaining about racist policing practices and a department ill-equipped to handle the city's needs. At the end of the meeting, Councilman James Cooper said he wanted to respond with a series of programs that he felt would not only better equip police, but offer a better way of responding to mental health calls, interacting with individuals experiencing homelessness, and reducing violence. Cooper recommended that the police's homeless outreach detail be expanded. He also proposed funding an expansion of the youth outreach program by police and creating an Office of Neighborhood Safety and Violence Interruption. The City Council will vote next week on whether to study these proposals and have staff conduct a benefit-cost analysis. But at last week's council meeting, Councilwoman Nikki Nice, who represents the city's Northeast Ward, said her black constituents had been pleading for changes for decades. I, I think it, it's important to understand how we do have to continue to use hashtags and continue to say Black Lives Matter. How we have to continue to say uh, we are over-policed. How we have to continue to say uh, we are getting stopped at alarming rates. How we have to continue to say uh, we are getting tickets at increasing rates. How we have to continue to say on and on and on. You just name it of um, what's taking place in our communities. How we don't have access to of the necessities that we should have. I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and on this week's episode of Listen Frontier, we take a closer look at the relationship between Oklahoma City and its police, how proposed changes might be received by the council, and what the police union might be willing to accept and what it won't. Before we continue with this week's episode, I want to let you know that I have a story at readfrontier.org that takes a closer look at Councilman Cooper's proposals. It includes thoughts from several council members and, and what the next steps will look like. It offers much more detail on the topic we are discussing today, and I'd invite you to check it out. Cooper said his proposals are just a start to the conversation, and it comes at a time when Mayor David Holt said he wants to reevaluate the police's de-escalation policy and put together a task force to study the idea of a human rights commission, which Oklahoma City disbanded nearly 25 years ago. Cooper said his proposals were partly a response to recent protests, but were also rooted in what he heard from voters two years ago when he first ran for office. Here's a rundown of Cooper's six proposals. First, he wants to require all police officers to receive basic crisis response training which is currently offered to some officers. Second, he wants to provide all police officers with 24-hour-a-day access to mental health services to manage PTSD, anxiety, stress, and other mental health challenges. Third, he wants to create a facility where trained mental health professionals and social workers 
serve as the first line of response when someone is dealing with a mental health crisis. Fourth, Cooper would like to expand the police department's family awareness and community teamwork gang prevention program that targets youth between the ages of 10 and 17. Fifth, he wants to expand the police department's homeless outreach team and provide additional funding for connecting residents experiencing homelessness to case management services and housing first programs. And finally, he wants to create an office of neighborhood safety and violence interruption where trained staff work with residents most likely to be involved in violence. This can include professionals who respond to domestic violence calls. Councilwoman Jo Beth Hammond said she supports Cooper's proposals and believes there is funding available to move forward, which could include diverting some money from the police department's budget. I spoke with Hammond this week about these ideas and other ways she would like to reevaluate local policing. Councilwoman, first off, I'm curious to get your perspective or, or your uh, response to the to the series of proposals that we heard from from Councilman Cooper. Several of them very different, but were these ones that you saw as uh, as ideas that you support and, and realistic ideas for the city or just kind of what was your initial thought when you when you had a chance to hear these proposals and think about them yeah well um the night before actually him uh councilman nice and i had had a chance to just talk because we wanted um to talk through what you know things we've been hearing and you know initiatives that we we separately might know about or be concerned about that we'd want to, you know, try to see if we can, you know, get any uh, reallocation, even, you know, just in light of, you know, our, our things like Spokies uh, potentially being cut or, um, you know, the, the two rec centers and the parks budget that are proposed to be, be closed in this year's budget. Um you know, outside of kind of the, the concerns about policing, there was there were some other issues that, um, you know, we wanted to to talk about to see, you know, where where there was any overlap. So I definitely wasn't, I guess, surprised by what he proposed. Um, and in a few of those ideas actually were things that I've that we kind of collaborated to talk about in particular, um, you know, the the piece about the crisis response team having, you know, 24 seven, uh, non-law enforcement crisis response, um, is something I've been trying to talk about and see how we can develop here in Oklahoma city for the last year. Um, and every time I talk to someone about it, they're, they're, they just say, we don't have the money for it. Mm-hmm. Um, even though our, you know, we heard our police chief say that, you know, over half the calls they receive are not police business. And I get a report every month from, um, from OKCPD about how many mental health calls they're responding to. And usually it's been the, you know, 1500 plus. Um, so right there, it seems like there's an opportunity to, um, you know, to make some changes and, and say, let's, you know, reallocate the money that we're currently spending on police to do that and, um, and have, you know, trained experts be, be the folks responding to those. Um, similarly with the um, homeless outreach, uh, I think that's something that I've also been advocating to have expanded and specifically have non-law enforcement responding to, you know, those outreach calls Um just, just given that, um, even if they are, you know, on an outreach team and are, uh, you know, we have the homeless outreach team, 
a lot of the folks in that community having someone walk up with a badge and, you know, gun or taser on their hip is just, um, it's just intimidating and, and isn't necessarily going to, um, uh, bring a lot of, you know, it just, it's more walls that have to be broken down before those folks are going to be trusting of working with, with the systems that we have. So, um, you know, I think there are definitely some opportunities there, um, in the proposal that he made, um, and, and, you know, I, I probably am a, a person that feels like they don't go far enough, um, you know, that I think a lot of the um, things that police respond to could be addressed through so much, you know, prevention investment, you know, even if someone is, um, you know, using drugs or uh, drunk, if they're in their home, you know, they're not being policed for that. Um, and we know that that's so much cheaper than having folks out on the street. Um, even if, you know, even if they're, um, not in full recovery yet from some kind of serious mental illness or an addiction, we just know it's, it's, it's cheaper to, um, pay for their rent and pay for all the supportive services that go along with that than, um, than the, you know, incarceration, fines, uh, you know, interactions with police kind of cycle that we currently have. So, you know, I think from my perspective, I'd love to see it go further. Um, but I do think that a lot of what he proposed is a really good start. And, um, you know, the point that, again, like a lot of other communities have these initiatives, um, including, you know, in our state, Tulsa has a community or sorry, crisis response team, um, you know, that they're not they're not things that are just like coming up out of our head out of, you know, just that we're kind of pulling out of thin air. Um, but they're things that have been shown to work and are, um, incredibly less, uh, expensive and more effective than, than what we're current, what we're currently doing here in Oklahoma city. Yeah. I mean, you talk about your desire to maybe go further. I had a chance to speak with councilman Cooper last night and, you know, I, I think he kind of shared similar sentiments and said, hey, this is really just the tip of the iceberg. You know, some of these programs, you know, as he said in the meeting this week, kind of build on things that we already have or adopt mm-hmm. some practices in, in other similar cities. And you said that, you know, when you're at when you've been advocating for some of these measures, that the, the biggest challenge is funding, as it, as it almost always is. So mm-hmm. do you feel like that there's kind of a moment right now where we are hearing uh, people question uh, the the funding that local police departments receive. Do, do you feel like there's there's a moment right now where where some of these programs where when you've you've constantly run into these walls these funding walls that maybe now there's an opportunity mm-hmm. um, to divert some of those funds is that is that kind of the moment that we're in or I mean how likely do you think it is that that we may be able to see here in Oklahoma City some of that money yeah. be diverted? Um, unfortunately, I'm not terribly optimistic that you know, Oklahoma City, at least leadership as a whole, is willing to have that conversation. You know, I, I know we heard from multiple council members on Tuesday that, um, you know, they don't want to take any money from the police budget. Um, so I think, you know, on a wider scale, like I'm, I'm very optimistic and thankful that we're having that conversation, like as a kind of country, I guess. But I'm, I'm not terribly hopeful that... Um, that that's falling on all of the ears that we need it to in a way that is like connecting the dots for them. You know, mm-hmm. I think they hear, you know, defund police and they hear, Oh, well, response times are going to slow down. Whereas what I hear is we'll have the correct people responding to things, um, you know? And so what I heard on Tuesday from, you know, many other council members was that they weren't 
connecting those dots or understanding that difference. And I, and I continue to hear it even from the chief and from the FOP and news stories where they say, you know, um, you know, we have X number of calls a year and people want us to show up. Um, whereas I just keep pointing back to, but you keep saying that most of those calls are not police business. So it's not that people are wanting police to show up necessarily. It's that they, that's, that's who we've tasked with showing up. Um, I think there's a great, uh, there's a woman, Danielle Sered, who does this restorative justice work. And the way she puts it is, you know, um, if, if there is a, you know, if you were in a desert and there was one hamburger stand and it was really bad hamburgers and maybe you're even a vegetarian, but it's the only thing that's available to you, looking at the line at that hamburger stand, you might think that those are the best hamburgers in town, but really it's because it's the only option. And if you had more options, maybe people wouldn't um, say that's what they wanted. Um, so I think, I think we've done this and, and she's specifically more, more speaking towards the other end of, um, you know, our system of the incarceration piece. But I think it really translates to um, policing because it's just the, the first line in that whole, you know, carceral system um, that, you know, we keep saying that's the option we want when really, I think if you gave people more options, they'd realize, oh, it's not that I wanted police to respond. It's that I wanted someone to respond to this thing um, that was trained to do so. You, you talk about the the perspective people have of, of police. And, and so often when we're having conversations of, of police policy and police budgets at the city level, it is around the idea that there are not enough officers that, you know, every time mm-hmm. there's a budget proposal, uh, you know, we're told that, hey, we're asking for X number, but we really need, you know, three times that. Um, you know, I was speaking with the president of the police union this week and asked him if he felt like the community supported the police department. And he said, well, the proof is when you look at a few years ago, they approved a, a public safety sales tax. What's interesting to me, though, is when you look at that that tax, which did pass um, by mm-hmm. a couple of percentage points, its lowest level of support was in Northeast Oklahoma City, a largely black community. Mm. Um, taking a look at some of the annual surveys that the city does, where the majority of residents say that they are satisfied with police services in the city, um, that's not the case when you break it down by ward and, and look at Ward 7, mm. the city's northeast part of town, the, the predominantly black part of part of Oklahoma City. So the perspective, obviously, that we're, you know, we've we've known this, but many are learning this also in the last couple of weeks, that the perspective of police really differs from neighborhood to neighborhood. But you you represent, you know, kind of the city's central core, um, mm-hmm. a, a diverse community as well. But um, what are you hearing from your constituents locally? I mean, when we, when we look, is this, do you feel like this is an issue that's going beyond just Northeast Oklahoma City right now? And I don't mean that to diminish their voice. I'm just saying, sure. do we feel like this is a conversation that's starting to build momentum, you know, beyond the community? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, to that point, I often, when I think about issues of policing, you know, we, we do talk about a lot about race and specifically the black community. Um, and not to say that I don't represent black people that live in Ward 6. There are definitely plenty of them um, that I met when I was knocking doors and, you know, the things they asked um, us to be investing in was public transit and our parks. But I also think about our Hispanic community that uh, is, you know, specifically, you know, especially centrally located on our south side. Um, And, you know, obviously they're not a monolith either, but, um, but to that point that, you know, we've had police 
um, kill folks who are Hispanic in our community specifically. You know, I can think of the uh, most recent, more, you know, high-profile one was the, the deaf gentleman on the south side um, who was shot by police a few years ago. And, um, and you know, I think it, it speaks to, you know, the um, just generally, and again, that, that implicit bias that we carry in our country um, that we just sort of uh, socialized into of seeing darker skin um, as as other um, often criminalized in our you know media narratives and in our um, you know the the news diets that we um, consume. So and, and to uh, to the other aspects, you know, I know we had people call in um, to the council meetings talking about people experiencing homelessness and and mental illness and. Um, you know, I hear a lot from those communities about, you know, that policing is not what's serving them. Um, and, uh, you know, I think some people might find it surprising, but I've actually, you know, amidst all of the, you know, phone calls telling me to resign over the last two weeks, uh, you know, when I spot check who those, where those people are from, they're largely not my constituents and a number of them don't even live in a city, but I've actually received two calls from folks that I met while knocking doors on the South side, both elderly white folks, um, you know, spent their lives kind of in the working class, um, and both saying that they support, you know, what I've been saying because, um, they've seen how, um, you know, under investment in things like their parks or public housing, um, has negatively affected not just, you know, the, the community around them, but, you know, their own families and, um, you know, seeing the underinvestment in their own neighborhoods for the last, you know, 40, 50 years, um, you know, feels like a, a, a slap in the face when somehow, when, when they, you know, when people say that police are somehow the thing that's underfunded, um, you know, when they don't have water fountains in their parks or, uh, you know, new, um, that the, you know, the, the swimming pool was closed. And so now the, the kids and the youth in their, um, in their neighborhood don't have anywhere to go anymore after school. Um, so I think I, I am hearing, I think from a lot of my own constituents across the ward and I, and from across political persuasions, um, you know, that, that, that this is a conversation there they're interested in having it in a nuanced way. Whereas I think a lot of the um, negativity that I've received when I, you know, not to say that I've not received any from constituents, but, um, but that largely um, the negativity that I've, I've been hearing isn't from people that, um, that I actually represent. Not to say again, that they're not out there. There might be more than I know, but they're just not telling me. Um, but, you know, by and large, uh, it does feel like culturally as a city we're, we're having that conversation, but it's not quite reaching all of the ears of our leadership. Yeah. You, you know, what's interesting to me and, and not to diminish the specific problems of, of systemic racism within uh, policing or, you know, the stats that just show that, you know, communities of color are, are, are over or are, are more policed than, than white communities and, and the same when it comes to arrests mm. and, and, and police killings. But it seems to me that this conversation right now is kind of going beyond just police practices. I mean, that's definitely a part of it. Mm. I mean, we've heard people talk and discuss, including yourself, about specific policing policy. Um, but as Councilman Cooper said this week, that like, hey, if we're going to talk about uh, addressing this issue, you know, it's going to have to be this holistic approach. I mean, you talk about, mm. you know, the role that uh, a, a park or a, you know, a playground in a community can right. have in this larger conversation. I mean, it seems to me that this, we are talking about policing, but we're talking about mm -hmm. so much more also. 
Yeah. Well, and that's what, you know, I think when people um, start, you know, sort of flinch at the words, you know, defund police, they're not necessarily thinking about that, you know, folks who are abolitionists in that way um, are talking about the whole system of carceral punishment and, and pointing out that it, it's not working in, um, in actually producing safety for people who, you know, especially let's even just talk about violent crimes, like for the people who have been harmed by a violent crime, it's not necessarily producing safety because you're just taking the person who committed that harm and um, instead of actually solving any of the problems surrounding why they might have committed the harm, um, you're just isolating them with other people who've committed harm with no um, actual resources to, um, to go on a different to go in a different direction. And then you've left the survivor still in that, um, that context without the safety nets and the social supports that would help them heal. Um, and so I, I think there's, you know, and again, it's that police are just the, the first touch and often in the, that whole, um, that whole cycle. And so when we uh, aren't investing in those supports like, you know, mental health system, education, parks, transit, the things that connect people both to opportunity, but also to community and to even just social and emotional support, um, then, then it's like you're not actually helping the people who have been harmed in communities and you're not doing anything to fix why the harm is happening. John George is the president of the union that represents Oklahoma City police officers, and he's been in the police department for 29 years. Earlier this week, he sat down with me to discuss the concerns of many in the community and what he believes officers would be and wouldn't be willing to do in response to some of those calls for change. I started our conversation by asking him to give me his impression of the relationship between the police and the city particularly the black community. I think overall here for several years, uh, as long as I can remember, we've had a really good relationship with the community and, and of the minority community. Uh, it just seems like we've, this community has been very good to the, our officers and have a lot of support. Now, these guys see it every day. They get their meals bought when they go into places. They get pats on the back. They get people bringing stuff to the station for them. So I, think, I do think overall we have support from the community, without a doubt, yeah. of all segments of the community. Yeah. There's obviously been some concerns raised by segments of the community. Have you seen those as valid concerns worth looking at, or what do you feel? Yes, everything's a valid concern if it's a concern of yours. So it is. Let me just say that. But I also want to say that I've seen a lot of different things, not a lot of details, but a lot of things that they're concerned about seems to be what they're concerned about nationally. And if they really look at what we do here, it's either already been banned here, we've already addressed it here. Uh, So I don't know without knowing specifics like – I, chokehold, chokehold, chokehold. I've been here 29 years. We've never trained on a chokehold. Mm-hmm. 29 years. It's that's how long we've not used it here. Yeah. So I don't. I, I wish what would happen is is locally, if they think there's issues, let's deal with those issues. Don't take the national narrative and bring it here, because it kind of things get lost. in if you're telling me, well, we want this choke, we don't do chokeholds, yeah. or we want a de-escalation policy. We've had a de-escalation policy for since 2018. It's worked really well. Or I don't. I don't. I'm just throwing examples out. Yeah. I mean. I saw. I think I saw a deal. Was it yesterday or day before? Eight can't wait or something like that. Have you seen that? There's eight things they want to yeah, see done. Yeah. I actually, I think the department might have responded to it on their face. 
We already do all eight of them here. So that's what I mean. If, if the issues don't take the national problem, let's focus on what you think is a problem in Oklahoma City, and let's, let's talk about it and address it. If they, we can do something better, I know the FOP is willing to set at any table. I think the department's willing as well. But let's don't, say that, let's don't take the national narrative. Let's focus on what's really going on here. I, I think that's the best thing I can say yeah. is give me specifics here and let's, let's try to address it. Yeah, obviously a challenging time. How do you think the chief has performed during this time? I think, I think we got a chief that's barely been here a year and he's had to he's not even been here a year and he's had to deal with COVID and now this. I think he's done a, a, a tremendous job on the big picture stuff. Now, obviously he's a chief. We're not always going to agree with him. We're the union, but I think overall he's done a he's done a really good job. It's a new command staff dealing with stuff that I mean, my twenty nine years here, we've never dealt with either one of them really like we are now we've never had a pandemic in my 29 years like this we've never had we've had racial tensions off and on but i've never seen it so focused even here in oklahoma city you know even like i was officer during rodney king in la it didn't have the local focus like this does now uh because of social media and because of everything else not saying it shouldn't have i'm just saying it's intensified and for the first time in my 29 years i feel that here too that you know even though you see something atrocious somewhere else you, you feel it resonating here now. Yeah, yeah. There's been some conversation amongst what is the appropriate size of, of a police department. Obviously, there's some that taking the tactic of, you know, defund the police are reallocating some of the budget towards other departments. Do you think the department is appropriately sized? And if not, do you no, think No, absolutely, I don't. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. I don't. We're way understaffed still. And I think we've shown that. I think the citizens uh, know that. That's why, what, two years ago now, we voted to increase the size of the department, and we still haven't even got to that size yet, and we knew that number was too low. Uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't look at how to fund mental health and some other things because I think that's a crisis in Oklahoma, but I don't think taking the money from the police department necessarily is the is appropriate way to do it because we still got 911 calls. The citizens still want us there in, in a good, timely manner. I mean, if you did, we did a citizen survey years ago, and I mean, response times are critical, uh, and it's it's uh, even more magnified here because we're 600 something square miles. You know, I take Minneapolis, I believe, we did some looking, and they got about the same amount of officers we have. They're 58 square miles. So think about, we have to respond for 600-something square miles. Uh, and that, that magnifies our short, our short. You know, we're, we're at 1,130, I just don't know the exact number, about 1,130 officers. We were funded for 1,235 once the quarter, or the eight cents, I guess we're going, anyway, the quarter cent sales tax, we're going to be funded for 1,235. The last chief study that Chief City did before he left said we needed over 1,300, and that's been five, six years ago now. I don't know what the exact number needs to be. I do know we need more than we need right now. I think the citizens know that, which is why they voted for the first to be able to hire 125 more, yeah. uh, and we hadn't even hired those yet. Yeah. And now we're freezing some positions. I understand that. We, we're in a real budget crisis. Everybody understands that. We're not, we're not balking that we got to freeze 34 positions because we get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just that we're in an unusual time right now. Yeah. When it comes to the review of, of, of misconduct or complaints, do you feel like the system that's in place right now is appropriate? Do you think it needs changes, or are you guys satisfied with the current system? I will never be able to get this across to a civilian that doesn't understand it, but the officer's conduct is more scrutinized than a civilian tenfold. Uh, it just is. Because we get, first off, they get looked at criminally, either by detectives who didn't present it to the district attorney, and then when that's over, then we have this whole administrative investigation that RIA is extremely thorough, you know, and then I think we're scrutinized twice. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be because we should have to address something, even if it's not criminally, doesn't mean we shouldn't address it internally. No. Uh, so I think we do do a good job of policing ourselves. I mean, 
I can't say that everybody's going to agree that this guy did something wrong, so now we agree it's the punishment too small, too, you know, too little, too, or is it too hard, mm -hmm. which is kind of the FOP's job. Our, the FOP's job is to make sure people are, our officers are getting treated fair mm -hmm. and consistent with the other officers. And not to say that every officer, oh, they didn't do it. It's like, okay, yeah, you did it. So now let's figure out what's the appropriate punishment for that. Uh, Chief Gorley is he's he's shown that he's he's not afraid to deal out some pretty good punishment so far. And I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying he was wrong for that. So yeah, yeah. So you feel like the, the system that's in place is can it be improved? I'll never say nothing cannot yeah. be improved. I think it's more fair that people realize. Yeah. And it, and it's more scrutinized than people realize because they everybody wants to think we have this code of silence. We are investigated very thoroughly here. Yeah, uh, we have been for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think that's as rampant as people think, and I don't think it's rampant here at all. Yeah, I'm not saying there's places that that's not still true, but I think we've progressed over time that in police departments in general that that's not the way it used to be. The, the mayor last week said that. Uh, I mean, like specifically, he said he was willing to, to relook at the the de-escalation mm -hmm. policy and, and maybe a few other things. How would you assess the mayor's? handling of this? I think the mayor's doing a good job of trying to keep peace. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a politician and he's always wanted, He's always said, I want to be the mayor of Oklahoma City, the entire city. And I think he's doing a really good job to try to keep peace, to keep things level. And, and again, something needs to be looked at. Well, we'll sit down and look at anything. I can't say I'll necessarily agree to any changes or what I would, but what I would say if people say our policy's wrong is tell me what you think's wrong. Don't just tell me we need to redo it. Then tell me what's wrong with it, mm -hmm. so we can look at it now and see if well, you're, you know, you may be right. Maybe we need to change that. We never thought of that. Yeah. But all I hear right now is how we need to get do away with this or do away with that. But nobody's telling me what what they think the solution is. And the FOP is always willing to sit down with it and try to see. Well, yeah, maybe there's a better way. How critical of a time is this for you, for you guys? I mean, in terms in your history with the FOP, now obviously events come up and stuff. But how would you assess like this time that we're in and the importance? Yeah, <laughs> I would say probably the one of the most of my career uh, because of the weight on the shoulders of these officers right now and the scrutiny they're under. And, you know, body camera probably was the biggest change in law enforcement in my entire career just because of having now you, everything you do. But now every officer loves it. The officers will tell you, I don't want to go to work without them. I don't want to because it really does show that 99% of the time we do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, they just released video yesterday that – that they were demanding out there and I was like okay and I saw it for the first time on the news and I watched every news station and I'm kind of like well, what do you want those officers to do different I thought they handled themselves very well this guy was fighting resisting they, they they weren't on his neck they were trying to do everything they could to keep him under control they got him up and got him in an ambulance and then he had some kind of medical issue it looks like but I'm kind of like again what do you want us to do different this guy had a gun on him he was resisting they didn't pummel him for lack of a better term i mean they didn't i i watched it and go so everybody's screaming out about this one and then i watch it and go but what would you ask us to do different then because i didn't see it i just didn't but that's the scrutiny they're under so then the officers are worried that gets released they don't know what's going to happen next i mean we have groups you know trying to to dox you and get your addresses and post that out there it's just a different time officers parking their take-home cars in their garages now and stuff and they don't want sitting out in front of their houses because their kids are scared and things like that. I mean, so they're feeling the weight of all this too. Yeah. And, but every day they're coming to work and trying to do the best they can. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask about how, how would you kind of describe morale right now? But it's actually, I went down there Saturday night, you know, whether they were waiting, didn't know how big the protest was going to be Saturday from the Bricktown deal. And I was surprised. Morale was really high, really high. Now there were some worn out people because someone had worked every day of this since it started, you know, 12, 14, 15 hours a day. But I, morale was really high. It was it was nice to see. It yeah. was surprising to see that they 
they get it. It's part of the job. You know, yeah. they sign up for this kind of stuff. They don't like it necessarily, but it, morale was really well. I mean, it was just, I was surprised. But I want to say that. I want to attribute that to that. I think it's because mostly it's been peaceful. Yeah. Uh, we had that one really bad incident, what, a week, a you know, Sunday that, or it was a Sunday, yeah, Sunday going into Monday, Saturday, you know, anyway, you know what I'm talking about. The night we had to fire and take action, all the tear gas and different things like that. But outside of that, the protesters have been very peaceful. And officers, they, they're fine with that. I mean, I've seen go down and, and I've heard stories about, and I see our officers' social media, like, oh, I had this conversation with a protester, and I had this conversation with the protesters, and it, there's been great dialogue back and forth, except for that one night that was, it got out of hand. Yeah. But besides that, the officers have told me, a lot of these people, they'll talk to you normal and just try to understand stuff, and the officers try to make them understand stuff. And really, that's great. That's what we need to be doing. Yeah. Uh, it's always those few caused the problems and, and really messed it up for everybody. Well, finally, I mean, where do you think we go from here? I mean, what do you feel like this You know, I wish I knew. <laughs> I really, well, I really wish I knew because it's just, we sit around, I hate to say it, I'm not joking or making light of anything, but it's kind of like we're going, what's next? Yeah. You know, we just went through COVID. We really weren't even out of that. And here we got this. It's kind of like, what's next now? Yeah. Uh, I would love to things get back to normal. Uh, I, I would, but I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon. I, I do hope that protests continue the way they've been the last several days, peaceful. Uh, everybody has a right to that. Our, our officers completely understand that. I hope that continues. And then maybe we kind of transform back into something normal again. That's going to do it for this week's episode. You can get the latest episodes of Listen Frontier by subscribing to our podcast feed and your favorite podcast app. On Monday, we will have another episode of COVID-19 in Oklahoma, where I'll be joined by my colleague Cassie McClung to discuss the latest coronavirus trends. You can find that episode in the same podcast feed. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you next week.